One of the things that we want to be careful to continue to do is honor those who come and bring the word of the Lord to us as those that are sent by the Lord. I don't say that for my own self-aggrandizement or anything. That is part of the principle that we have uh, taught here and practiced and cherished here at our Father's house for a number of years. And we're going to continue in that vein as we move on into the future. Because we know that as we receive the one the Lord sends to us, we're receiving the Lord himself. And when we receive Jesus, we're receiving the Father. So it's important for us to have that place of honor and uh, and, and respect um, as those who, who come forward to bring what the Lord has given them for us, uh, come to do that. So, so thank you. We've been in a series on, on prayer, and we're going to continue in that vein here today. And last week we spoke about Thanksgiving. By the way, did everybody have a good Thanksgiving this year? Yes, yes. I'm sure you gave lots of thanks this week to the Lord because I reminded you to do so this last week. And, um, you know, it's, it really is an important place for us to keep our hearts in. And let's continue in that, uh, not just in this season, but let's continue in that as a people. Uh, we want to, to have hearts of thanks before the Lord. We want to be looking for where it is that he has drawn something forward for us for our blessings, uh, even in the smallest things, even the most challenging circumstances, choosing to give thanks is incredibly important. Uh, we're going to continue today in speaking about prayer, and we're going to come at it from a, a little bit of a, a different angle here today, because we're going to be talking ultimately about uh, prayers of blessing. And, and so I want us to, um, to look at prayer from a particular vantage point. I'm going to take us through, uh, through a story in the, in the Bible that doesn't really bring us to a place of prayer, but it helps us understand the power of our words. Does that make sense? Uh, because as we're praying, most often, we're going to be using our words. You can pray in your mind, and we've spoken about this. You can pray in your mind, and it does benefit you. And the Lord can hear you. And you can hear you. But the enemy can't hear you when you're praying in your mind. He can't read your mind. Did you know that? He cannot read your mind. You might think he can read your mind because he's an excellent student of mankind and what people tend to do, and he's been watching you your life, so he knows how you tend to respond to things, but he cannot read your mind. God can read your mind. He can discern your thoughts. He can hear you in that place. And we've had testimony here. Uh, Tim shared the testimony of when he was in the midst of uh, of going through a stroke a number of weeks ago. He was crying out to the Lord in his mind because he could not with his mouth. And the Lord heard him and answered him there in that place. It's a powerful testimony of prayer, very specific prayer, in desperation, in desperate times of need. But we're talking today about the effectiveness and the power of our spoken word. And I love how Pete was up here today just reminding us to pray and the power that comes out of our mouths when we speak things and we declare them. There is an enemy, and he needs to hear what we have to say. And there's power in our words. We're going to go first to, uh, to John chapter 1. And I know I didn't, Lindsay, I'm sorry I didn't tell you about this one, but just the Lord brought this to my heart. We're going to start here in John chapter 1 today. Verse 1. Because it reveals to us something about who Jesus is and who we are in him. Remember, if we've come to Christ, we are in Christ. And the nature that he has is a nature that we end up taking on. And we could become conformed more and more into the image of him. So we're going to start here. And I love how John just declares and proclaims these things about who Jesus is. This is his nature. This is his identity. This is the power of the one who is there at the foundation of the world. So we start here in one one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is God. He is also the Son of God. He is also the Word. And it's very important that we understand that He is the Word because He spoke things into existence. Through Him all things were made. 
Through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John just gets right into it. Here he is. This is who he is. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, here, the Apostle John makes some distinctions because there's been some confusion for folks as they understood the season of which Jesus came about. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. These, are not the two, these two are not the same Johns. The author of the Gospel of John is not John the Baptist. Okay? He's speaking about another John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. This is talking about Jesus again. He was there. The world was made by him, did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who, ha- who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's power in understanding that Jesus is the word. And as he speaks things, things happen. He demonstrates throughout his life that when he spoke, things took place. Things responded to his voice. And he could declare things, and nature and bodies and all sorts of things would respond to his voice. Now, it's important that we recognize that he anticipates that we're going to be speaking things as well. And as you look through all of Scripture, you find that our words matter. The things we say and the things we declare matters. The way we pray and how we come before the Lord matters. Because, as we're going to look at it today, what comes out of our mouth reveals what's in our heart. It reveals what's in our heart. And we have, a, a, we have the ability to choose what, is it, what it is that we're going to say. I think there's an interesting connection between the heart and the mouth. I think the mouth reveals what's in the heart, but I know the heart can also be led by what's going on in the mouth, too. When I choose to speak blessings, when I choose to glorify God, when I choose to give thanks, it actually does something back into my, my heart as well. So there's, a, there's some sort of cross-feed that goes in there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Things that are hidden in our hearts are going to come out, and they're going to be revealed by our mouths, but I know that our mouth also directs things that take place in our hearts. And so, as we look at this today... We're going to, to look at some we're going to look at a story that reveals the outcome of some decisions that people made as to what they were going to declare based on experiencing the same things. That makes sense? What is it that we all have experienced and how are we going to respond to God from that? And that's going to yield two very different results for these different groupings of people. Okay? So let's go all the way back into Numbers chapter 13. Now this is, uh, by the way, if you're new to us, we like to get into the Word. So hopefully you brought your Bible with you. If not, open up an app and follow along. Also you can look on the screen here. Whether you're here in person or you're at home, you'll be able to see that. But we really like to get into the Word here because we want to see what it is that the Lord has said in His Word. And we want to have a love for the Word of God. Uh, when we love his word and we feed on his word and his word gets into us, it transforms us. It starts to uh, change our, our minds and our understanding. We start to give the, the Holy Spirit some fodder to start 
revealing the heart of the Father to us as we go through his word. So, Numbers chapter 13 and 14, we're not going to read every portion of this because it is extensive. But what I do want to pick up on is just kind of the, the gist and the trajectory of this, this portion of history uh, because it, it reveals to us um, some important things about how we respond to what we see and how we respond to resistance against us and how we respond to what the Lord has promised us in the midst of that. Okay, There's the people of God, the children of Israel have been in captivity for hundreds of years and the Lord has spoken to them about a promised land and they know it's coming and he brings them out by many signs and wonders into the desert, crossing the desert to bring them to the promised land only for them to find giants in the land. Right? We know, many of us know this story, right? So, I'm going to start off here at the beginning of Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to, Israel, to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So, what we see then is Moses sends 12 men in, into the promised land, for them to spy out the land. All right, so I won't go through all the names, but we'll pick it up here in in verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees or not? Do, you, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab toward Labo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in, the, in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eskol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So if you remember some months ago, we started here looking at this time where the Israelites went into the promised land and we were looking at Hebron. Remember, we followed Hebron all the way through, looked at the promises that took place at Hebron, following the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, all the way up through into the coming place of the kingdom of heaven and uh, in heaven and what the tabernacle represents, right? So we're kind of going full circle back to this point right now. And we're looking at when they went into the promised land. Now, there were so many great things that they found there. And Moses is very specific about the, the intel report he wanted on the cities and how they're fortified and you know what type of economy might be available to them there. And so they went back and they did this and they found it is an exceedingly great place. right? To be able to bring back um, a, a one branch of grapes and you know, sling it between two guys and you know, everything else that they're carrying back, they, they were obedient in what they were sent out to do. But now we find the report on the exploration. So 12 of them have gone through the land. 12 of them. And they come back. It says this, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. So, I mean, imagine what they're all seeing. I mean, you come in with that type of fruit, that's going to be pretty exciting, right? It's a real testimony of what's there. And 12 of them are carrying it back with them. And they show that fruit and they bear it. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large, We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they show this 
Here's, here's the bounty of this place. Here's what has been promised to us, what God told us. It's true. It's there. But there's some scary folks who live there, and they're fortified throughout there. How are we going to overtake them? And they start bringing fear into this situation. Even in the face of what they can see, even in the face of what they could lay hold of and taste and touch and smell, they bring a negative report of the people who are there, and they start to bring fear in. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. So you see, now, there's two different reports. Same facts, right? The, the facts haven't changed. Caleb doesn't say, there's, there's no giants there. There's no fortified cities. There's none of that. No, he didn't say that. He just says, hold up. Let's not bring fear into this. Let's go take that land because it's a good land and we can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw, saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We, seen, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own, lies and we, in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So they start to spread this negative report throughout Israel, and it starts to just churn people up. Now, I'm using this as an illustration, okay? I'm not trying to draw any parallels here for us specifically. I just want to use this as an illustration of the difference of what can happen when a good report is brought forth and what happens when a bad report is brought forth here where we've allowed things to be colored by fear, or when we've allowed things to be colored by courage and trust in the Lord. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You find in Scripture that God really doesn't like grumbling. Even in the midst of very challenging situations, he doesn't want us to be grumbling. He wants us to... Grumbling is the opposite of thanksgiving. Grumbling is the negative report that says we don't have enough. It's not going to be good. We're not going to be able to do it. It's, not, it, it's, it's minimizing what can take place. From a heart of faith and trust, we find thanksgiving because it looks to the Lord and says, you have provided all that I need. If, you've, if you're telling me to go in here, then I'm going to go because I know I can trust you. And I'm going to give you thanks already for what you're going to bring because you're good. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They're looking to overthrow Moses and Aaron at this point in time because of the fear of what's in there. And you'll recall when we spoke earlier this year about about what took place here and how Caleb and Joshua have given this positive report and they declare that we, we want that place. We want to go there. God's given it to us. You'll recall that, um, that the, the Lord blesses those who trust in him, that faith in him, that believe him, and hold strong through that. These men are persevering. And the enemy likes to hide things that are a blessing behind fear. If you find fear coming up in your life, there's, there's something on the other side of that that's a blessing for you that the enemy is really trying to keep you back from. Because remember, the Lord doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And so the enemy likes to hide things behind fear. And one of the ways we see this in this story is he hides things behind a giant. He hides things behind giants to where we look at the giant and say, it's so much bigger and worse than we are. There's no way I can overcome that. But God says, I've already given you the victory. I'm bigger than any giant that's out there. And by the way, I'm bigger in you than any giant that's out there. 
And if he's given it, don't just go, you know, thumb in your nose at giants. I'm not telling you that. But if he's given you the place on the other side of that giant, then he's given you that giant as well. All right, so they want to stone these guys. <laughs> they say this, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. They didn't want to believe the positive report. They really wanted to believe this thing. And there's the opposition against fear was two men that were laying themselves on the ground saying, please don't do this. Now we know that the Lord chose to honor these men. And we pick it up here. In verse 20, after Moses has had a dialogue with the Lord, where the Lord says, I'm just going to wipe these guys out. We'll start over, and I'll start over with you. And, and Moses basically says, you don't want to do that. That's, no. You're too good for that. And what's the testimony going to be in this region to anybody who saw what you did to these people? Is that you weren't strong enough to bring them into this land? I mean, come on. You're not going to do that. God, he says, please forgive them, right? And so we see this. In verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has different spirit and followed me wholeheartedly, remember his name means wholehearted. Caleb's name means wholehearted. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Malachites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. So God basically says it's time for you guys to turn around. I've forgiven them, but they're going to die in the desert. But not Caleb. And when we find later on down here, um, not Joshua either. Everyone else is going to die in the desert because they did not believe the word of the Lord. They did not choose to bring back a good report. They instead listened to the negative report and they grumbled. And they didn't choose to follow the Lord in that. Here's what he says, picking up in verse 29. In the desert your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land. I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in the desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. These are hard words, folks. God really, he really takes it seriously as to whether we're going to trust him and believe him or not. Now, we're not living in Old Testament. We're not living in this. So there's not a direct parallel here. But what we're listening for here is the seriousness of which God has towards those who are going to trust him in the face of really challenging circumstances and those who will believe the negative report that the enemy would give. Right? He's, going to, he's going to use people to give a negative report. And it can spread through a community very rapidly. But for those who hold true to him, the Lord brings out incredible blessing. Okay? So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. 
These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. So it was true. And you find immediately after this, they, they try to like, well, we're sorry, we're going we're gonna to try to go and take the land now. And Moses says, no, we, that's not going to work out. They try, they get whooped, and they get sent out of there. Okay, so when you fast forward through history, 40 years, you see that Joshua and Caleb lead the battle in to take the promised land. And the Lord does deliver it to them. And, and Caleb, who says, give me my mountain, who's been waiting 40 years, actually 45 years by that point in time, is delivered that mountain. And they kill the giants in the land, and they take it and they inhabit it. Because God's word is true. And he cares about the things that we say. So I'm, I'm painting this picture for us, and I'm bringing this story forward for us to look at the outcomes of those who gave a positive report of faith and those who gave a negative report of fear. For us to recognize that the words that we declare with our mouths are important because they have outcomes that come for us based upon what's in our hearts and what we choose to believe the Lord for. Does does that make sense? And it doesn't just affect us, it affects our community around us. It affects the body of Christ around us. Because we are called to be those who speak life, who speak love, who demonstrate with our actions and our words the heart of the Father. It's not difficult to find a negative report. Have you found that? It's not difficult to find a negative report. It's not even difficult to find a negative report amongst the people of God. Okay? We are all guilty of that, folks. We are all told by the Lord in the Bible to watch our tongues. Right? So we're talking about that here today. And what I want to call all of us to is the recognition of the opportunity that we have, the invitation of the Lord to speak forth life into situations and see dramatic outcome. Because two men spoke life. You have another entire generation and now a lineage down through history who did receive the promised land, who did walk into what God had, and it cost them a generation of people who didn't believe. Do you understand? It cost them that generation... But because two men did believe, because they did speak life, we have a whole history now of what took place in the promised land. And we have a testimony of what God is able to do. So the call today isn't to focus on all the negative things. You'll hear all that because the Lord shows us, this is what I don't want you to do. But the the invitation for us is to be people who speak life, people who live and walk by faith, who are led by the Spirit, who trust God when he tells us things, to take those steps forward or to stand and not be moved. It's important for us as a people to recognize that. Okay, so let's go to, um, let's go to Proverbs chapter 18 and verses 20 through 21. I encourage you to read Proverbs every day. There's a chapter for every day of the month, which is a really easy way to make sure that you keep getting wisdom into your heart. All right, verse 20. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You can have negative fruit. You can have positive fruit. But the tongue has power of life and death. And you get to choose what you're going to sow with your tongue. Or with your written word. The words that you release have power in them. And they're like seeds that grow, go into the ground, and they're going to bear fruit. And you are going to enjoy 
might be air quotes or not, the fruit that comes from the things that you speak. Does that make sense? Now, we can take this and look at it very literally and recognize that you can talk about in a judge or a king can literally give a sentence of life or death to somebody. Right? Not all of us are judges or kings that have that type of physical authority over people. But the principle is still true. We release life or we release death with our tongues, with the things that we say. And we get the choice for that. And we're going to, we're going to experience the fruit of that. We're going to live in the outcome of that. That's incredible power. There aren't any other creatures on this planet that have that type of power. God intended for us to represent him well as his sons and as his daughters here and to release life and blessings over, the, over what he's given us to steward. There are things that we have the opportunity, and I do call it an opportunity, to speak death to. We, like, like Jesus, he cursed the fig tree, right? And it's shriveled up. I'm not encouraging you to go curse fruit trees and things like that. <laughs> but there will be things that come into your sphere of influence that should not be there. Amen. That are wicked and they're from the enemy. And you have the authority to speak death to those things. You also have the authority to speak life to things that you have responsibility over or a part in. That's incredible power, and that's an incredible opportunity. And the Lord wants our will to be aligned with his. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Everybody tracking this morning? Right. I'm heading to a, de- a destination in this with us, okay? So remember, we're talking about the prayer of blessing. It's important for us to recognize the opposite, for us to make a choice about what God's called us into, okay? So Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember, the mouth, the, our mouth is going to reveal what's in our hearts. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. That's a sobering thought. We should be sobered by that. For every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words matter. They really, really matter. This is, this is written in red letters, okay? This is the word saying, your words really matter. And you're going to have to give an account for it. We want to have our hearts right before the Lord. We want to align our words with what he's doing, with what he's saying. We want to bring thanks to him as it nourishes our heart and puts us in the right perspective with him and in the right place with him. Our words truly matter. And we have the opportunity to have the overflow and the abundance of the good things that the Lord has stored up in us overflow from our mouths and yield blessings upon what comes before us. Uh, think about this. If, if what comes out of our mouths is the fruit of, of what's in our hearts or the overflow of what's in our hearts 
and it's going to yield more things. Recognize it's, it's a fruit and it has a seed in it, right? And fruit carries seed with it that when you put it in the ground, it yields more fruit. There's, there's an exponential increase that takes place by what we sow. And while this is a reference to monetary sowing, we know that if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. It's a, it's a principle that doesn't only apply to finances and, and how God talks about us giving generously monetarily in a kingdom sense. It is a, it's a principle that goes beyond that. If we sow generously, we're going to reap generously. If we scatter a lot of seeds, you're going to get a lot of other stuff that comes up, right? But if you scatter in a, in a sparing way, it's not going to yield the same amount of, of crop. Do you get what I'm saying? That goes both towards the positive and the negative. If I sow a lot of wicked things out there with my mouth, there's going to be a whole lot of stuff that comes back. I will live and enjoy the fruit of my lips. But if I choose instead to generously sow blessings with my mouth, well, then I should anticipate and believe, because God has said so, that I'm going to see a bumper crop of blessings come up not only for my benefit, but for the benefit of those that I am sowing blessings into. Right? You had those men who gave the good report that, that shared good, positive things from their mouth that said, yep, that's all there, but God is going to do great things through us. He's promised this place to us. We can do it. We're going to take them. We're going to devour them. It's going to be our land. And now we have generations of blessings that have come from that. So it's important for us to recognize that God's intention for us, his heart for us, is to be those who would bless. To be those who would pour out blessings from our mouths to those who are around us. Let's go to, uh, to James chapter 3. This one just always brings it home for me. I don't know about you, but when I read James, it's very sobering. It challenges me in a lot of ways. I mean, this was a biological brother of Jesus. And his, his letter really sums up a lot about how we're to live in our, in our Christian walk. But James chapter 3 really comes at his heart. Actually, let's... Um, let's go back to James chapter 1 real quick. 119. I think this is just great advice that we should all take. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen... Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Why might we want to be slow to speak? Because our words really matter. And remember, we're going to have to give account for every careless word that we've spoken. We want to be slow to speak. All right. Chapter 3. Not many of you should be presumed to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. We all know that we are not able to do that, right? Okay. But that's the goal. We should be keeping things in check. We should be watching the things that we're saying. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Oh, I don't want to open my mouth. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, 
We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What is James encouraging us to recognize here? That we should make every attempt to tame the tongue. That we should make every attempt to submit the words that come from our mouths to the Lord. That we should recognize that the propensity of the tongue, as we also know, the propensity of the heart is towards evil. And that we need the Lord to come and have control over what's going on with our tongues. We need the Lord to come and draw us into intimate places with Him where our hearts become healed, where what comes forth from us is going to be a blessing and not a cursing. Where we recognize that we should be watching what comes out of our mouths. He says earlier in James that if, uh, if we say that we are followers of Christ and we, we don't have a, a good rein on our tongues, we're deceiving ourselves. God really cares what comes out of our tongues, out of our mouths. Let's go to John 10.10. All right. This gets down to some of the heart of the issue. Remember, we are here to represent our Father. And Jesus is the one who gave us a way back to the Father. We can't return to the Father and have relationship with him by any other way but Jesus. And he calls us to become more like him. He wants to come and live inside our hearts, rule and reign, and have no other contenders in there. But for us to yield our hearts to him, declare and follow him as our Lord and our King. And he says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about the enemy. To steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's his intention to release life into dead places. It's his intention to take terrible, corrupt, dirty, defiled situations and turn them around and purify them and make them holy and righteous by him. To bring life to where there's death. We see that when death came, Life in Christ and through Christ actually overcame the grave. Like we tend to think either naturally or almost default in our, in our human experience that what's greater than life is death because death ends life, right? And so somehow death is able to overcome the life we live here in the body. But Jesus came and died and demonstrated that he has life in him that is greater than death. And it's that life that he comes to give to us. So he comes with a restorative life, abundant life, to bring into situations. He sees things that are broken, not as the broken thing, but as the whole thing that he's looking to restore and redeem. And he calls us into that place as well. He calls us to see the things that he sees the way he sees them, and for us to declare into that moment the things that he sees from heaven. Does that make sense? He's looking for us to sow seeds of life into dead places so that life can come forth. And what comes forth is greater than the seed that is sown. So I may speak blessings over somebody. 
Father, I just pray that you transform their life. I just bless the work of their hands, Lord. Lord, I bless their thoughts. I bless their uh, the, the dealings of their heart, Lord. I bless their relationships, Lord. Lord, I, I know that we see right now just brokenness, Lord, but I thank you and I just bless them with abundance of life. Things that he starts stirring in us. And I think that's hitting somebody right now. If that just hit you, just receive that right now. Okay, God sees your brokenness and he wants to heal you and not just heal you so that you're as good as you were before. He's looking to restore and give you abundance. And we are the agents here in the earth that he has put here to release that into the atmosphere. Things change by what we speak. There's power in the word. There's power in the words that he gives us. And the closer our words align with the things that he's speaking in the moment, the greater power that's brought forth in that situation. So the question for us is this. If I've got two bags on me full of seed, one's got life in it and the other got death in it, which seed am I going to choose to scatter more? Life. That's a choice we all have. The Lord's going to call us into desperate situations. Things that look incredibly daunting. And we have the opportunity to speak life and blessings into them. We have the opportunity to see the Spirit yield incredible change and transformation because of abundant life that is greater than death. Now, I know we live in this place in between that goal and what we're experiencing now. The invitation of the Lord is, continue to walk with me. Continue to choose instead of fear, love. Instead of death, life. Instead of grumbling, thanksgiving. Come to me and give me praise. Choose to bless. Choose to bless what I brought before you to bless. He is so good. He is so good. You know, we chose today, as we do every week, to bless the children. And if you're a parent and you have children, it is so important that you bless your children. When you're blessing, in that context, what you're doing is you're declaring the favor of God over your children. You have the opportunity to pray protection over them. You have the opportunity to harmonize with what God has placed in the heart of your child and to bless it. God watches these things. The enemy watches these things, too. That's less important. God watches these things. When we bless what he has blessed, there is a powerful yield that comes out of that. I'm looking forward to seeing the fruit of the things that Katie and I are blessing in the lives of our sons. I'm looking forward to seeing the fruit that's going to be yielded in the lives of some of their peers by you parents that are blessing them, by you grandparents that are blessing them by you not natural family members that are blessing those that you love and that God has brought into your care. Because it's important that we bless those things. It's going to yield fruit. It's like just we're just going to keep watering it. We're going to water it. We're going to fertilize it. We're just going to keep kneading this thing and watching what comes forth. Because God wants us to participate with him in bringing forward the blessing. Because there's going to be a harvest that comes forward from that. We want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of what he's doing because it's going to bring forth great things. God set in the history of Israel a prayer of blessing that was, um, was prayed over them by the, by the priests. We call it the Aaronic blessing because it's the blessing of Aaron and his sons. We're going to pray that here today. I'm going to pray that over you guys.
And I'm going to have you guys pray it over each other as well. Okay, I'm going to move to the, towards that point. But there's, there's something I want to get through between here and, and that point in time. For those that have been here for a while, it's again, it's no surprise to you. We've been going through a lot of challenges in the spiritual realm. We've seen, uh, we've had two members that have passed away from COVID. We've had others that have, have had COVID. We've had um, those that have had physical injuries that have taken place. We've seen uh, other medical things as we've been really pressing in towards the Lord. And I truly believe that we're, we're in one of those stages where we can see the promised land. We've looked at the fruit. We've been able to bring it back. We've tasted and seen it. We know that what the Lord has given us is good and that what he's promised to us is better than what we've grown up in. And the enemy does not want us to go there. He's putting giants in our way. And these aren't just fairy tale things that we're talking about. Oh, there's giants out there. These are felt things that we're looking at and saying, this hurts. This is challenging. This is real. And we're, we're facing conflict. We're facing resistance here. The question is, do we keep pressing in towards the Lord or not? And we had, last week as we prayed, uh, one of the things I shared was that uh, for us as we continue to pray and go on the offensive in this and saying we're not going to accept what the enemy has given us here. He's trying to keep us back from something that the Lord has for us. Let's pray for some specific things for us to understand of, of what to declare into this so that we can take it on head-on and directly. Some of you know that also during this week, one of our dear friends and and beloved members of this household, uh, Val Hartwell, had a stroke and is still up at the hospital. She's in recovery. We see her having some dramatic recovery, and I just want to thank everybody who's been praying for her. She's been out on our prayer chain, and we've been going, going to the Lord for her, and we've seen some incredible turnaround there for her. We're very thankful for that. But we see another hit come. And just last night, some of us got the word that uh, Pastor Rob Myers here who's been leading the the mission after a long battle with COVID, passed away last night. And many of you have been just praying and fasting before the Lord. Lord, please heal him. That's such a a blow to the body of Christ here in this location and to uh, the homeless in our our community. That man has given his life to the least and to the lost. And he's a faithful brother. He's in glory now. But that's, been, that's a hard blow to us. So we, we sit in these places between the promise and the other side of the Jordan. We say, Lord, we know what you've promised to us, and we're still seeing these things. And he calls us to continue to persevere in him, to continue to come to him, to continue to declare his goodness and his faithfulness. What was revealed to us this week was we got a word that there's a a spirit of death that's hanging around right now. And the spirit of death is there to bring an ill report against the body of Christ. To try to diminish his name and who we are as a church. And so it's to bring a bad report. So we're coming against that thing specifically today. Because the spirit of death has no place here. In this house or in any other house here in Southern Maryland or anywhere. Well, we recognize the enemy is trying to bring an ill report and to try to scare us off from what God has. And we're going to say, you do not have authority here. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. 
And we'll have victory through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we're not going to have the testimony of what God has been doing here and what he's promised to us be robbed by the enemy. As we spoke earlier, we recognize we have the opportunity to respond two ways. Do we focus on death? Do we focus on the negative things? They're there. It's facts. Or do we speak life and release life into the situation? Because the life that Jesus has is greater than death. It's greater than the power of death. And we as a people have the opportunity to choose and say, Lord, we're not going to grumble. We're not going to be in a place overcome by fear. We're not going to be in a place that says, let's just go back to Egypt. It was better there. We say, Lord, what you have promised us is greater than where we are now. What you have promised us is worthy of us continuing to press towards you of trusting in you, of blessing your name, of blessing your people, and standing in the face of the spirit of death and saying, you will not come here. Christ has given us life. He's given it to us abundantly. And we are going to be those that have a wellspring of life, that we bless one another and we bless this community because the victory is Jesus. And we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we're going to rebuke the spirit of death today. And I'm going to pray the ironic blessing over you guys. And then I'm going to have you guys pray it over one another. Because you're kings and you're priests. You have authority to do that. It's important for the body of Christ to release blessings upon one another. We should care about one another, and we do. We should care about one another enough to be blessing one another, to be seeking good for one another, to be speaking life and words of encouragement and strength over one another because we're all struggling with things in different ways. But the the Lord has given us one another to release life and blessing and peace over one another. There should be an overflow, and I believe there's an overflow coming from this house that is not only going to be blessing those that are here, but it's going to be blessing the community around us, and it's going to overflow, and we're going to see transformation take place in lives. And this is part of the process that we're in. So let's go to Deuteronomy. Sorry, Numbers chapter 6. And I'm going to read it to you first. Because I think this is just so important. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Think about that. They will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. There's, there's a marking that's going on through this. By the priests standing before the people and blessing them in the name of the Lord, and seeing that they become marked by his name. They are people called by his name. He set them apart. And this is a part of that process. There's a real thing happening when they are blessing the people. They're releasing life. They're releasing protection over them, favor, his face, his presence to be among them and upon them. Some of you practice this in praying it over your children and over your loved ones. This, this prayer is still good today. There's life in this thing. So when we're talking about prayer in our prayer life, it's important for us to recognize that a major component that we have in prayer is the ability to bless 
So we know he's going to bless those we bless and he's going to curse those we curse. I think the benefit should be towards blessing, not the cursing. They're both within our capacity, but let's choose to bless. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And at home, online, I encourage you to stand as well if you're able to. If not, just, just put your hands out here to receive it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I rebuke the spirit of death that would be hanging around this house or anywhere, Lord, in the body of Christ right now to try to bring ill repute against you, Lord Jesus, would try to diminish your name, to try to diminish the testimony of what you are doing in and amongst your people. Lord, I just rebuke that thing right now that would try to scare anyone off from the body of Christ. Because, Lord, the testimony is that you come to give life and to give it abundantly. And anything else is a lie against who you are, Jesus. So, Father, we just pray right now your blessings over your people. Lord, that you would come and you would protect us, Lord, that you would give us favor. Lord, that you would protect us from harm, that you would protect us from evil, you would protect us from, uh, from negative reports that would sow seeds from the enemy of fear, of doubt, of destruction. Lord, that would try to steal and rob us of the inheritance that you have for us, Lord. But instead, we choose, Lord, to stand on your word, on who you are, and to speak life in the name of Jesus. Life in the name of Jesus over one another. Life in the name of Jesus over our community. Life in the name of Jesus to all that we encounter right now, Lord. We just thank you. I bless your people. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. All right, I'm going to ask you right now just to extend your hands towards one another because you're going, I'm going to do it line by line. I'm going to say, and then you're going to repeat as we pray this blessing over one another, okay? Same with you online. I just encourage you to place your hands, reach out towards the screen. You're connected with us. We love you, and we want you to receive and participate in the blessing of others as well. All right, here we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the Prince of Peace. Lord, you destroy the authority that establishes disorder, and we come against disorder right now, particularly, Lord, a spirit of death. They would try to hang around, Lord Jesus, and try to bring repute against you. Lord, we just pray right now for your faith to rise amongst your people, Lord, for love to rise amongst your people, Lord, that we would speak life in the name of Jesus, life in the name of Jesus, life in the name of Jesus over one another. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we do not receive the report of death. We receive the report of life in the name of Jesus, the type of life that you give, Lord. We just thank you. Father, I pray for your people right now to be encouraged in their heart and not discouraged, Lord. To press on towards the goal, Lord Jesus. To, to, Lord, that we would demonstrate your love and your faithfulness and your kindness and your power and your strength and your gentleness and compassion, Lord, in greater and greater measures to one another and to those you send us to, Lord. Lord, I just thank you right now for the work that you're doing here. And, Lord, I thank you for what you are going to... uh, Lord, what you're going to reveal to us, Lord, in time, we just thank you, Father, as we persevere in you, knowing, Lord, that you are doing a mighty work among us. We thank you, Jesus. And we just bless one another in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. God's doing work among us, folks. Hey, this next Sunday is going to be an encounter Sunday. I'm looking forward to what God's going to be doing. And uh, as that's going to be an Encounter Sunday, 
this Wednesday night. It's actually going to be our last class of the Bible class that we've been doing, the eight-week Bible class. I encourage you to tune in for that. Also, we're going to do a pursuit night on Wednesday night before that. So 6 o'clock, we're going to do pursuit from 6 to 7, and then we've got Bible class. Pursuit night is this. We just come and we worship the Lord. We come here. We got some videos with worship songs, and we just come here and worship the Lord and get in His presence. I encourage you to come and join us there. God bless you. Have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving. We love you all. God bless you. Bye bye. Santa Claus is coming.